scripture memory verse tonight, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God was pleading through us, be reconciled to God. I just did that all the way wrong. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20. There we go. It, the hardest part is, is I know 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. And my brain was trying to, to actually fight off 2 Corinthians 5.17. Okay, you can try. Go ahead. Good job, honey. We're going to have to tap in with a microphone. What does beseech me? Plead, pray, oh, urge. Because yours is different, right? <laughs> yeah. We beseech exactly. you. I implore you. Anybody else want to try? We've had this one for a couple weeks here. Certainly welcome to try, or you can read it. Good job. Anybody else? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Where is it? Second Corinthians five twenty. I forgot to read that. King James version, huh? Oh yeah. Good. Anybody else? This is his conclusion of the matter when you look at it. It's kind of the conclusion of his um, justification of his authority. Now, we got to look at this a little bit, and then he tells why he's an ambassador. For he who made, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he tells them why he's an ambassador. But let me, let me just give you a little background. Paul went to Corinth, which is where this is at, Corinthians, to Corinth uh, on the second missionary journey. There was no church there. He actually planted a church there by sharing Jesus Christ, uh, by really with the, the, the word, right? It was the word of reconciliation that he shared when he went to Corinth. Corinth was one of the, the, the most wickedest cities on the planet in those times. They had the temple Aphrodite's there, which had a thousand prostitutes that would come down at night. I mean, it was just chaos there, much like our world today. 
And so they go there on the second missionary journey. They plant this church. Um, and he keeps track of this church through letters. And they actually wrote letters to him asking questions. And there's actually four letters that he wrote to them. And we don't have one and three. This is actually two and four, but it's called one and two, even though two other ones are missing. And people with much, much more uh, uh, wisdom than I have have figured that out because of the questions that are asked and the questions that are answered. They surmise that there's two other letters and that we're missing some of the facts that we should have had in the conversations. I'm just giving you some of the facts. And so really when you see Paul writing, especially this letter here, which would have been the fourth letter, I believe, one and three missing, two and fours here. And he's really, because these Judaizers would come in and they're all trying to teach and they're trying to say that Paul is wrong. And, and they're always, and so Paul is always, even in this, in 2 Corinthians, he has to give his entire testimony. And he says he boasts in himself and he begins to do things that he, he says, I speak in the flesh, I speak as a man. And he says, I am more, I am more, I am more. And he's trying, and what he wants to do is get his testimony across, but he doesn't want to defend himself because he says, I'm an ambassador. As if Christ was pleading through us. He does, he does not want to do this, but they're arguing that he has no authority over them. They're arguing that he's the false one and believe in the Judaizers. So he keeps writing them and pleading with them to understand that if, he, if they listen to these liars, they're going to end up in a bad place. And we have that going on today all over the churches. And people are listening to liars and they're going to end up in a bad place because they won't just spend time with God in the word and allow the Holy Spirit to teach them and learn from what the scriptures say. They would rather somebody talk to them. They would rather somebody tell them. And then they would rather believe something that tickles their ears, that, that strokes their flesh, that makes them feel good about who they are. And that's the me-centered gospel we're seeing today. But the gospel is not that. And, and you know, we have to understand that. And so when he begins to, to defend himself, there's a lot of things I could go to. But we're going to just back up a little bit to verse 12. And then start looking at this a little bit. Because really 520 is his conclusion about who he is. Who we are. Anytime you see we are, guess what? That's the whole body of Christ. As a body, we are ambassadors. It's not like it's just Paul. He's including everybody. And then if it says you are... Then he's speaking to your specific identity of who you are in Christ. Now, it may be somebody else too, but he's saying it in a way where you take it and you make it personal. So when you go back up and we look at, I want to try to understand this um, in context. There's some great stuff in this chapter, by the way. I am leaving out for we walk by faith, not by sight. I am leaving out that to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. There's some great stuff. He talks about our earthly tent, our new house in heaven in this chapter. Uh, but I, I'm going to leave them out. And he says in verse 12, For we do not commend or introduce ourselves again to you. Listen, they're, they're treating him like he's a total stranger instead of somebody that came and laid his life down and brought them the word of reconciliation. And he says, so for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Listen, 
Paul exposed his heart completely. He came and was very open with them about what was going on. And then there's these false people that come, and they give all of these things, and they make you a slave to them, but they don't show you their true heart. They don't let you know that on the inside they're ravenous wolves. And they're really trying to build their own kingdom, do their own thing, speak their own gospel. They're not living by the Spirit of God. And Paul is saying, watch what he says, and he does it very nicely. He doesn't call them that. He just says, who boast in appearance, but not in heart. So they're pious outwardly. They dress the part outwardly, but on the inside, their hearts are far from God. Their hearts are for themselves and not for the people. And yet Paul has given up his entire life. Paul has laid down his life. Paul had lost his family and everything because of Christ and because he laid his life down for Christ. And, and much of the teachers and much of the people then and now, because of spirit of Antichrist, teach a crossless gospel. They teach a gospel where you get heaven and earth at the same time. You get it all. You get to get everything and do whatever you want. All you got to do is say a prayer and you can do whatever you want. And that's not the gospel. And that's why Paul's saying, be careful to those who just boast in appearance. You don't know their hearts. And we don't need to introduce ourselves once again to you. We were there. You've seen our hearts. And he talks about this in other places. Notice what he says in verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Now, these are probably some accusations or something that might have been made. But Paul's saying no matter what, God is using it for good. Notice what he says here. For if we are beside ourselves. My wife told me the other day she had a dream. She was a twin and she woke up beside herself. Uh. That's what that's talking about. No, listen. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Listen, it's, this, is, this is a term about being insane. Beside yourself. It, it's talking about insane or astounded or out of our wits, which they're saying, you know, the Judaizers would come in and say, Paul's out of his mind. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do these things. And he's saying, if we are beside ourselves, he's using it in a different way, not in a derogatory way. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Because what they're doing, they're laid their life down for God. And if somebody's saying they're beside themselves, and, you know, remember, uh, I think when he was before Agrippa and in jail, he said, much learning has driven you mad, Paul. And he said, no, but I wish that everybody was as me, not as these change, but in Christ. He wanted everybody to be saved and was willing to lay down his life and give up his life for his countrymen and everybody if they would just come to Christ Jesus. Because we have to understand, listen, the only reason we're here is to be witnesses. The only reason we're here is for souls to be converted. So often we have to understand that we're all eternal. See, and that's one of the things you want to tell people, that we're eternal. Because some people think they're not eternal. But everybody's eternal. We're spirits in a body, right? We were spirits, and we're going to be spirits for eternity, and the choice is right now in these earthly tents, it's a testing ground. Are we going to surrender to Jesus and believe in the gospel? Or are we going to listen to lies? And so if they're beside themselves or insane, it's for God. But if we are of sound mind, remember sound mind? Sober, King James. If they're sober, they're not drunk 
They're not, there's nothing wrong with their faculties. Uh, uh, it's to be in your right mind. If they're exercising self-control, it's for you. So no matter what, it's for God or for others is what he's saying. It's not about him. But these other guys that are boasting in appearance, it's all about them. They're trying to take care of self. But he's saying no matter what, it's for God and for you. And he's putting himself last, which is what a true servant of the gospel will do. Is put God first, others second, and themselves last. And if you remember, 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and a sound mind. And this is what he's talking about here. So if he's of a sound mind, it's for them. And we should have a sound mind. It's, a, it's part of the Spirit giving us the, the gift of having a sound mind to go out and share the gospel. For the love of Christ, listen, he says, for you. Our sound mind is for you. Why? For the love of Christ constrains us, compels us, because we judge thus. That's the word crino. It's to judicially decide morally or eternally. We judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and yea, rose again. Listen to me. He's talking about Christ dying in our stead. He's talking about Christ dying for us. And our position in Christ is if one died, all died. If you believe in Christ, then you're dead. You're not supposed to be living for yourself anymore. That's what he's judging here. This is the judgment that he's made. If one died, then all died. So if I believe in Christ, then I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Paul would say to the church in Galatia, the same type of a statement. And he died for all that those who live. Now, if you've died with him and you've rose again also, you're living, you should live no longer for yourselves. Selves are dead. If you're dead, then you're not living for yourself. You're not chasing your own desires. You're not chasing your own toys. You're not chasing your own career. You're not chasing your own way. You're not looking for your life. It's hidden in Christ Jesus. And when he appears, our life will appear with him. Because we're dead. We've been buried. And we're supposed to live for him who died for them and rose again. So clearly he's preaching the resurrection. Clearly he's talking about one that got up out of the grave. And we're supposed to live for him. See, that's the whole point here. Is that we're dead. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us. And begins to lead us to do the work of the ministry. And lives through us. We become his hands and his feet. We become his servants. We become his little lights going out. And being witnesses about him. And his power. His might. His strength. According to his kingdom. Not according to our own. And when we surrender and do that. He can use us for his glory. Let me ask you, do you know that he died for you today? That he took your death sentence? See, he didn't just die, come down, I'm going to die. He took our death sentence. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there was a death sentence upon us. And he died in our stead. He died for us. 
He made atonement. When we believe that, we're at one with God again. He goes on to say, 16, a verse that you guys hear me quote a lot, a verse that we need to understand, comprehend. We need to probably memorize it. I like this whole section. Therefore, well, what, what, what's it there for? Anytime you see a therefore, you have to look back up and see what it's there for. And he's talking about because of Christ dying. Therefore, from now on, what's that mean? From the rest of our time? From now on. This moment forward. See, if you haven't been doing it before, now he's saying from now on, now we're confronted with truth. We regard no one. Get a calculator out. See how many no one is. According to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Now, break down that sentence. We regard no one in the flesh. And then he quickly responds to what he said. Because the Judaizers and those others are teaching that Christ, or the agnostics really, uh, uh, the, the Gnosticism was teaching that Christ didn't come in the flesh. So he quickly makes a comment so nobody can twist it, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. In other words, he was there. They touched him. They held him. Paul was moving around in the shadows and seeing Jesus. Then he meets him on the road to Damascus when he gets saved. And they say they spent three years in Siberia and him teaching him literally. If you remember the communion text, he says, For I delivered to you that which I received from the Lord. Now, how could he have received that from the Lord unless it was personal revelation that come through him meeting with Christ after he met him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? But look what it says. Therefore... From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, the word regard is, is a much easier word to understand if you look at the King James. It's know. We know. 2 Corinthians 5.16. Oh, okay. Thank you. We know. It's the word I do. We know. You see this? King, New King James translation as regard we know no one according to the flesh even though we have known Christ according to the flesh yet now we know him thus no longer because he's died and rose again he sent his spirit back to fill those who believe and to teach and to guide to direct Romans 8 14 as many as are led by the spirit of God these are the children of God what is Paul saying here to regard none, to know none according to the flesh, is because he understands it's a spiritual kingdom. We serve a God who is spirit and truth. You cannot, you cannot see God. He's a spirit. God is spirit. And he knows that we are spirits, and these are earthly tents that we're living in now, and we get new houses later <coughs> for that environment. But right now, he's saying, we're not looking at flesh and blood. We're not looking at earthly governments. We're not looking at these things that down here that are being run in earthly, central, demonic wisdom. We know that it's all spiritual, that there's a spiritual war going on behind the scenes, that, that, that we are spirits, we are married to God now, or betrothed, and we are going to live in eternity with God, and we're not going to look at people and go, why did you do that to me? 
we're going to be thinking about the fact that it's not them who did it, but it's the spirit behind them. It's their, it's their worldview behind them. And you can tell what somebody is, whether they're, whether they're in the spirit or in the flesh, by what they're talking about, by what they're saying, by what their worldview is, by what they believe. You can tell whether they're serving God or not. It doesn't matter if they go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But I believe it's okay to kill babies. Well, then, then, then really you're probably not a Christian. I don't care what anybody says. You can't know God, have the Spirit of God in you who is the Spirit of life, who's truth incarnate, and then say it's okay to kill babies because God says it's wrong. And see, that's not something that you can just be blinded by if you know God because the Bible is clear on it. He's a God of life. So there's certain things where people claim to know God. They claim to be certain things. They claim all these things, but you can tell a tree by its fruit and so we're not regarding what they say in the flesh. We're understanding the spiritual kingdom. We're understanding what God has called us to do. And when you learn the word of truth, you're not going to sit around and be mad at them. You're going to understand how to deal with them with wisdom, how to speak to them with wisdom. Because if you begin to talk, start talking to them about too much, they're not going to understand it because they already believe in killing babies. And if they believe that, they don't have the Spirit of God. At best, I could say as a disclaimer, they could be quenching and they need to wake up. But I say they don't have the Spirit of God if they're okay with killing babies. Because it's just not, it doesn't line up with life. So we do not want to regard uh, or know... Uh, which means, I do, means to consider, to understand, to behold. Uh, and we should test the spirits. So you can't just take people's word for things. And again, that's the same point that he's trying to make. That he's not, and he's trying to get them to consider this. Here comes these people talking bad about me. Here comes these people. I'm the one that, that actually came and God used me to tell you the word of reconciliation. You come to salvation and then you let everybody else come and badmouth me that are just boasting in appearance and not in heart, and you should not be looking at their appearance. You should be testing their spirit, and are they lining up with who God is? Or, and if they're not, don't follow them. Even Paul says, follow me while I follow Christ. If he ain't following Christ, he says, stop following me. If I or an angel of light tells you, don't believe it, you keep following the truth. And God has provided us with truth. He's provided us with his spirit. So we have to be careful so often because right now flesh would be, flesh is the same as, it's the word sarks. Um, this sounds evil. It, it, can mean, it can mean the outer skin of something, but it can also be used in the Bible as your sin nature, your human nature, your normal self without the knowledge of God. It can mean the same thing. Uh, it, it, it can it can give you that same thought. Let me look for it. Yeah, it's just a physical <coughs> life or the carnal life. And we know that this is not real. This is all going to burn. This is just here for a time. It's all about the spirit realm where there's demons that are trying to deceive us. And our battle is not with flesh and blood. Paul will tell the church in Ephesus, modern day Turkey, but it's a principalities and powers the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore we are to put on the armor of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, stand, which is histomai. It means to abide, continue, and remain. That must mean that there's a place that we should be abiding, continuing, and remaining. It's not just running around, bouncing off walls, doing whatever we want. But we're supposed to remain in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, I say, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We don't want to be living in the flesh. We don't want to regard others as flesh. Listen, if you regard people as flesh, you won't witness to them. You won't talk to them. If you look at that person and go, they look like they're doing okay. They got a three-piece suit. You won't remember that they're a spirit, and it's really the soul of a man, the spirit of a man, that we are called to reconcile. That God came down and died to win his souls, the ministry of reconciliation. This is the point that Paul is making. There's lots of people that boast in the flesh. There's lots of people that come out in appearance. There's lots of people that say things, but are they really laying down their lives? To make sure people want to know Jesus and to make sure they share it. Are they really willing to speak out loud in, 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 in the middle of, uh, of all the people, even at peril, that somebody might kill them so that souls could be set free and come to know Jesus? And this is Paul. He's been beaten and left for dead, and he's going to end up doing this to defend his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He ends up talking to him about it. About being, I'm not going to go there, but about being shipwrecked three times and, and receiving 49 or 39 lashes so many times and all the times he's left for dead and the things that's happened to him over the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, if somebody boasted in appearance and their heart ain't in it, they're not going to get stoned to death and get up and go back into a city. You know, Paul knows that if his earthly tent, 5-1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made with hand, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul knows in 5-8, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. He knows that he's been sent and commissioned and told to go. And he's planting churches everywhere with the word of reconciliation. But there's others that follow behind him doing the work of the devil. We see it everywhere we go. So we have to be careful if you look at somebody, and I gotta, you gotta hone in on this just a bit because there's lots of ways to look at verse 16. If you look at somebody and you think they're okay, and you don't listen to the way they're talking and what their affection is for, and see what they're really serving, and ask God for eyes and how to share with them, then you'll just think they're okay because they have a nice car and they get a good job. But it's really there is spirit that's lost, that was born dead, all of us, none righteous, no, not one. And you can speak to the, to the, to the greatest of them. The, the least blesses the gr greater in normal things. But when you look in the Bible, you see people that know truth bless people that don't know truth. It doesn't matter their physical, fleshly regarding of placement in life. It matters about whether they die knowing Jesus or not. And so you see all through the Bible, God's people blessing greater people, rulers and leaders. And a man's gift makes room for you to come before leaders. And wherever you're at, it doesn't matter where you're at, share Jesus Christ with people. 
And you can tell whether they know Jesus. It's not that hard to ask a few questions, to talk a little bit, and then you see that they're nothing but flesh. They don't know the Spirit of God, and they need to know Jesus. So you pray for wisdom. And James says, on some have compassion, others save with fear, hating even the garment defiled with the flesh. Now listen to me. This is not what we're doing to one another. This is talking about ministry to unbelievers. Yet most of the church won't even talk to unbelievers. This is talking about witnessing, going on mission with God, reconciling souls. It's fun to come in and do it on Sunday morning when everybody's here to hear about Jesus and talk about Jesus in the pews and, and you're trying to, to evangelize those that are supposed to be already saved. And I agree with an apostate world church. There's a lot of people in church today that are not saved and they still need to hear the word of reconciliation. But my point is, is he's talking about when we go out into the marketplace, there's people that don't know Jesus and we're supposed to be not regarding their flesh, but understanding that their spirit is lost. And then he says, again, moving back to those are that do say they believe in Christ. When a person says they believe in Christ, what happens? What's the transformation? The inside changes. You don't just boast in heart. In fact, you begin to stop with the outer appearance and you go, whoa, it's not about me being seen. It's not about my appearance and about me. I need to work on my heart. That's why he said that up in verse two or 12. They boast, they glory, they talk about their appearance, they make their appearance look nice, the outward, the flesh, but in their heart, they're ravenous wolves. So look what he says, therefore, you're not regarding the flesh, listen, therefore, here's how we test and how we know, if anyone, whomsoever, is in Christ, Nice word, E-N, Greek preposition, position, place. It actually, here, listen to this. In Christ, it actually means it's a fixed position or place, but listen to this. It means this, give self holy. So people can say they're in Christ. I'm a Christian, but if you can tell that they haven't given themselves holy to Christ, are they really in Christ? There's evidence of this. The Bible is clear on these things, yet we have such a cultural apostate Christianity going on. I understand, but it's the grace of God that we get in. I understand that it's not works, but if there's so much more after we say yes at the starting line for sanctification, to begin to have our hearts have spiritual surgery on them by the scalpel of God's word, the sword of the spirit, as the great physician deals with us, and we begin in parents to back up and humble ourselves so that he can change us on the inside and lift us up and move us to the place where he wants us to be because he wants to give us gifts and talents and abilities. So we need to put a, 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 a I don't know, a, a, a shut up on our mouth sometimes and not say the things that's in our heart because they're just wrong and let him change us from the inside out. So if anyone is in Christ, again, it's the um, same word used in uh, John 14 when Jesus said, 
if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will send you another, the Spirit of truth, who will be with you and in you. Same Greek preposition. He comes alongside with is para. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then you say, I believe that. That, that I'm a sinner and there's going to be a judgment and the only way I can have righteousness is to believe in Jesus and him to give me that imputed to me verse 31 or 21 and then the Holy Spirit comes in and camps out in your heart and begins to do home makeover full home makeover tearing stuff off the walls removing stuff but so many people say oh I believe in Jesus and then they don't let the Holy Spirit wash and cleanse them they don't let the Holy Spirit sanctify them. They don't let the Holy Spirit use them for His glory and live through them because all died. Listen, if one died, all died. And we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for Him who died and rose again. So the Spirit lives through us. We're His hands and feet. It's really hard to die to self, though. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let's look at that. He is a new creature. Oh, let's change that for a minute. Back up. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creature. He is, is not in the text. Notice that's in there with a masculine. It's it's because the children of God are spirits. Right? Gotta remember that positionally. Practically, we do have these bodies, and God did put a spirit in us, and he made some women and some males. That's the only two genders. I don't care what anybody else says, that's the only two genders. And specifically, he put authority in the church, and specifically, he made men the head. And specifically, he did these things. But really, we have to remember, we don't regard anybody as flesh anymore. So we're looking at the spirit of a person, but we do know that there is a body also, and God put it in that house on purpose, that spiritual house, that earthly tent. And so my point being is, is that it could have said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. And new here uh, is, is, means in freshness. In freshness, they've been recently made. We see it as in born again. Listen, we were old, dead, our human fleshly nature ruling. The wages of sin was death. And then we come to Christ. And if we're in Christ, now we became fresh, born again, and new creatures. New creatures. It's from the original formations. And it's the act of God forming us again, afresh and anew. And so now he puts his spirit in us. We begin to die to self. We reckon the old man dead. We know that if one died, all died. And now we're going to come to, to him looking for the milk of the word, just like babies do, just like new creations do. And we're going to come and sup on, on the milk of the word and learn who we are. Well, who are we, Greg? Well, he tells us right here. If we're new creatures... What happened? That old nature passed away. It's dead in the grave with Christ. Those old things passed away. We don't do it that way anymore. Well, I just tell people what's on my mind. Well, not, not if you're a new creation. If you're in Christ now, you hold your tongue because you know it's a spirit and you don't want to lose your opportunity to witness to him. 
Now you want to say, I want to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Because now I'm a new creation and I want to do things Christ's way. I don't want to keep doing it the old way, the way that I used to do things. With the old fleshly nature, the human nature, the, the one that's underneath the sentence of death. I want him buried in, in the grave. So old things have died. That's what that means. Perished. Passed away. Same thing. It's passed away. They, they're the past. It's over with. Okay, here it is. Here's the best part about it. Passed away means pass over. It's the word for Passover. Because if I realize that Jesus is the Paschal Lamb and that he died once for all, then I realize it is the fulfillment of the Passover Lamb who died. And I get to go out free in newness of life and be led out by God and receive a new inheritance, a new land. And you know, as the children of Israel did, they went out from Pharaoh. They went out from the world. They went out from the devil. They went through and were baptized in the water, went into the wilderness. They had an opportunity to have a new life. Everything was changed. And what did they do in their hearts? They said, you brought us out here to die. We want the garlics, the leeks, and the onions. Let's go back to Egypt. We don't want to die. We don't want to change. We just didn't want to be underneath that burden. So that's what the government's trying to give people now. You don't have to work. We'll give it to you. Just stay home. They want to take all that out, which God already said. Listen, when you learn the word of God, God said work six days and rest one. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to work. We're just supposed to cease from our works if we're saved and enter into God's work. What's God's work? Reconciling souls. The only ministry that there is. Reconciliation of souls. It looks a lot different in different lives, but it's all led by the Spirit with the gifting of the Spirit. And you use the word of reconciliation, which is the truth that Christ Jesus died once for all, the just for the unjust. Listen to me. We need to wake up to this. And Paul's trying to tell them, quit listening to people that dress nice, boast nice, and speak a pretty gospel that tickles your ears. It's about dying to self. The only good self is a dead self. They don't live for self. They don't live any longer for themselves. They're living for Christ. Think about that love for a minute. If he would come down and die for us, why would we not want to find out who this God is? Why would we not want to, to reach out and read his word and say, Lord, what kind of love is this? This is an amazing grace that you would take my place in redeeming sacrifice. Wow. I get a little excited, so I'm sorry. So if anyone, if you claim to be in Christ and you believed in Christ, you are now a new creature, fresh, ready to start again, born again. You need to sup on the milk of the word and believe the truth and stop listening to the old nature, the sin nature, the human nature that's been controlled by the devil, by Pharaoh, Old Testament, by the world, Egypt, Old Testament. But now he's been set free because of the Passover. You've passed away. You've died with Christ. Behold, this is low. This is like, lo, the Lord cometh with 10,000 angels. This is behold. That's what that means. Listen to it. It's, he's wanting to get our attention. All things, calculator, have become new, become fresh. Now, there's a certain practical part of that that is positional. 
See what I mean? Positionally, he made us perfectly fresh and new. We're completed. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. But practically, you and I know that we still listen to our old nature. We still react with our old heart. We still say the old things. And we still, in some ways, look at something and try to fix it the old way instead of praying, instead of waiting, instead of trusting the Lord. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. And yet we try to just do everything without prayer, without communication, without surrendering to God. Now notice, all things have become new. In Christ, all things have become new. God sees it finished. He's outside of time. Well, what you say in 18? Now all things are of God. And what has God done? Who has reconciled us to himself through, that's the means, that's the avenue, that's the channel. I like that because, listen, listen. You show on the, the TV, there's a channel. You look into the evil world, there's channeling. Everything's a channel. But there's only one true channel by which men can be saved. Same as the name. It's, it's the anointed. It's the ordained. It's the one that God sent. It's Jesus Christ. I'm not going to finish it yet, but we're going to hold on to 18b. Look at the word reconciled. He has reconciled us through this channel, which is Jesus Christ. It's the channel of the act. Reconciled means to change mutually. It's actually uh, uh, 